This is the South Florida Tech Podcast, a weekly show where we bring you the awesome, innovative people building our South Florida tech community. Each week, we'll introduce to you one of the Sunshine State's top tech leaders. Learn more about who they are, what they do, and have some fun conversation along the way. Our podcast is presented by Tech Hub South Florida, a nonprofit dedicating to building South Florida into a tech hub and in partnership with BrainStation. BrainStation is the global leader in digital skills training, offering boot camps and courses in data, design, development, marketing, and product management. They have trained over 100,000 professionals both online and at campuses in New York, London, and Canada. Uh, our guest is Jeff Ransdahl. Jeff Ransdell is the co-founder and managing director of Fuel Venture Capital and a founding partner and CEO of Makia Capital. He founded Fuel Venture Capital in 2017 following his departure from the world of wealth management on Wall Street. Jeff is a serial entrepreneur and venture capitalist with experience bringing innovative portfolio companies such as Tax Files, Soundtracker Brand, Trade Shift, Bolt Mobility, Curve, and many more to private market investors and managing billions of dollars worth of assets in the private sector through one of the country's, I'm sorry, through some of the country's top financial institutions. In 2020, Jeff started Makia Capital and Acquisition Corporation alongside partners based in Latin America. Makia Capital is a special purpose acquisition corporation and as CEO, Jeff approaches the venture capital with a signature founder-focused, founder-driven mindset. Uh, Jeff also previously worked as a market executive for the financial powerhouse Bank of America Merrill Lynch, where he managed more than 130 billion of global private client investment, a P&L of 2 billion, and over 2,000 employees across the bank's uh, Southeast Wealth Management Division. So that was a mouthful. You've done a lot. Where I'm really excited to talk to you, Jeff, and welcome this morning. Yeah, Nikki, that was a, was a mouthful. I was sitting here listening to it all and saying, okay, it's got to stop soon. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, who is this guy? This <laughs> yeah, is pretty exactly. impressive. She did well. I wish my mom was listening. But anyway, uh, <laughs> thank you for having me on this morning. I'm looking forward to it. I love you guys' show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff. And, you know, to start out with our conversation before uh, we really get into it is, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do? Like, who is Jeff? How would you explain who you are to everybody? Yeah. So who is Jeff? So Jeff is, uh, I, you know, I, Jeff is really a pretty boring guy because all I really do is work nowadays. Uh, but yeah, so you know, I, I run a, a venture capital firm that, as you just stated, uh, that I started in 2017, uh, which was pretty interesting because I started it in 2017 in Miami, Florida, which at the time, I know it's kind of odd to say it now, but in 2017, everybody thought I'd lost my mind, right? It wasn't the cool place to be in tech in 2017. In fact, nobody actually could understand why I was doing what I was doing, but it's worked out pretty well for, for, for us um, because, you know, um, since COVID hit, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are moving here and a lot of companies and a lot of founders. And, and um, so it kind of makes us look all a little smart about what we've done down here. So. Love it. That's pretty exciting. And I know in the green room before we went on, we have, uh, you know, Jeff, similar to me, moved down here to, to launch something. So that's really exciting. And the question I get all the time, which probably I'm going to give to you, is you could have opened up Fuel Venture anywhere. So why South Florida as your headquarters? Um, tell us a little bit about, more about what went into that decision. 
So, you know, as, as Nikki was saying, um, I, was at, I was at Merrill for 21 years. Uh, the job I retired from, my P&L responsibilities were the state of Florida, state of Georgia, state of Alabama, Latin America, and the Caribbean. So I was responsible for Latin America really from 2003 to when I ultimately retired in 2016. So I, I knew the jurisdiction really well. And as I was thinking about creating, you know, this private equity firm and leaving, you know, the public markets, you know, a, a, it was about a three-year journey for me. And one of the things that I wanted to do is if I was going to come into the space, I wanted to try and figure out a way to maybe improve upon some of the things that I thought were, were, were missing. And, you know, obviously, you know, the, the homeland is, is Silicon Valley, and that's where everyone thinks you need to be. And if you're not in Silicon Valley, you need to be in New York or LA. And uh, to me, in 2017, it was, it was the obvious thing that Latin America, with as many people that are there, and, you know, with the world being as flat as it is today, that companies would need to be expanding into Latin America to get growth opportunities. And you have a ton of wealth in Latin America jurisdiction who want to have access to the creative economy. But quite frankly, you know, New York and Silicon Valley are a long ways away from Guatemala City and Bogota, right? And, and uh, so I, I felt like, you know, this was really my, my natural connection that the world was gonna start coming this way. And at the end of the day, ladies, let's just be really honest. Miami is the greatest city in the world. And why the hell would I ever wanna live anywhere else but here? So that, that's really you know, the truth of the whole matter. So to me, it was like, I love it in Miami. I'm gonna build something here and I'm gonna make it work because I really just don't wanna live anywhere else. I can so I relate to that. All about yeah. that. Yeah. I love that. I know a conversations even with my husband, we've talked about, should we leave? And he's like, why would we ever leave South Florida? For what reason? He goes, we live where everybody vacations. He's like, no. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Out of the question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So uh, I wanted to ask you, Jeff, about some of these awesome portfolio companies. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the ones that you're currently working with? And then how do you choose which companies to work with? You know, so, so one of the things, you know, and it kind of is a, is a really good piggyback from the first question. Um, you know, what I always tell investors when they come in to visit with us, I always, I always say, look, if you're looking for the net, you know, your next third or fourth or fifth Sandhill Road fund, uh, we're really not, you know, your portfolio managers. But if you're looking to diversify your Sandhill positions and, and gain access to companies around the rest of the world, then that's really what we specialize in. It's really our mission. And, and so to answer the question, how do we find them? Uh, you know, we have boots on the ground in Israel, which is the second largest tech ecosystem in the world. So, so that's important. Um, and because we have boots on the ground there, we, we do get to look at a lot of great companies. We have boots in the ground in the Nordics. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize this, but there's a tremendous amount of incredible founders and tech companies that are coming out of the Nordics. I mean, I can, you know, one that comes to mind that's really big, obviously, is Spotify, right? So there's a lot of great Spotify, Soundtrack Your Brand, which is Spotify is, is the music streaming for the B2C license, which we can all listen to in our homes and our cars. And Soundtrack Your Brand, which used to be Spotify for Business, uh, we spun it out of the Spotify um, platform and created it under its own flag, Soundtrack Your Brand is for the business to business. So streaming music in a business environment, uh, but both are, are in Sweden. Um, you know, we, we have an investment in what I think is probably the premier challenger bank in the world, 
um, which is lunar and that's out of the Nordics. Um, so, you know, that's how we, we get access is we have people there. We have people in London, we have boots on the ground in London. We have boots on the ground in Spain. We have boots on the ground in Mexico City and we have boots on the ground in Guatemala City. And then obviously we're here in the United States. Um, you know, my background of 21 years in, on Wall Street, I got a, I'm very connected to most of the investment bankers on the street. And to be really frank with you, you know, the, the sourcing of, of companies has really never been our issue. Um, we look at about 5,000 companies a year. Um, you know, the, the real challenge for us is, you know, really sticking to our discipline. Uh, we do have a, a very disciplined investment thesis that combines public market, you know, mentality, plan process and discipline, and then brings it into the private sector, which, you know, in my humble opinion, was maybe missing a little bit. We really manage the downside of the asset class versus the upside because we think the upside is just oversized anyway. Um, so, so that's kind of how we do the sourcing. And as far as you know, our companies, uh, our flagship, which was created the vintage in 2017, it has three unicorns and five unicorns in it, and it's just one one vintage, right? So that that's, you know, and I know you guys both know this, right? That's pretty unusual for one vintage to have that many. Um, unicorns and soon to be unicorns. Um, and that portfolio has 30 companies in it. And then our second fund, which is a FinTech focused fund, um, five assets in that. It's a, more of a concentration from a risk perspective, but uh, late stage companies, you know, literally, you know, getting ready to, to exit and uh, great assets. So as far as, you know, portfolio companies, you know, we run the gamut. We, we really do. We, we have companies all over the place. We have companies in Silicon Valley, but the interesting thing about that is none of them are from the Valley. So like TradeShift, which is our biggest company, it's uh, valued right now about 2.7 billion. They control about 2% of the world trade. They run a trillion dollars through their doors on a yearly basis. To put that in perspective, Amazon runs a trillion dollars through their doors on an annual basis. So this is a whale of a company. Uh, they're in Silicon Valley, but they came from the Nordic. And the reason why we found them is, again, because we have boots on the ground there. So we've been with them uh, about 12 years, to be honest. Even before fuel was, was even put into place, uh, our network was, was involved in that company. And then Omni Labs, which is also in Silicon Valley, it's our robotics company. But the reason why we know them, they came from, from um, Vietnam, and my partner and co uh, GP and our chief investment officer, Maggie Vo, is from Vietnam. And that's the connection to, to Omni Labs. Super cool. It sounds like uh, you all are doing a lot. It, you know, you've made some amazing investments here in South Florida, but it sounds like really, you know, fuel is and everything you all are doing is very global. Um, so that's great. And I love all this, you know, being from Finland, I love all this talk of the Nordics, even though Finland sometimes gets you know, pushed out, you know, is it Scandinavia? Is it not? Sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no, but glad there's, there's lots of activity uh, in the Nordics as well. I, yeah. I, I do want to talk a little bit about how your, you know, your, your career and your background helped propel you to where you are now and kind of what you learned there. But before you tell us about that, I was curious when we started, we talked about you having a founder focused approach and I'm curious, can you expand on that? What, you know, what does it mean to be founder focused as opposed to what would, you know, what would be the opposite of that? Um, 
And how has that yeah. helped propel fuel and the investments you all have made? So Joe, I think it's a, it's a good question. And again, as I, as I said earlier, right, when I, when I came into the space and created fuel, I was trying to identify things that I think needed to be improved upon. And again, my humble opinion doesn't mean that I'm right. It was just what I saw, how I felt and what I wanted to do differently. And, and one of the things that kind of jumped out at me was a lot of venture capital firms, you know, we're, we're finance people, we're math people, we're analytical. Um, and sometimes I think we, we, you know, I'm pointing inward, I shouldn't say we, you know, but I, sometimes when you have that type of um, uh, mentality, the human uh, connection or the bedside manner, maybe said it in another way is, is, is sometimes missing, right? And it's, it shouldn't always just be about the term sheet or, you know, the numbers and the financials. And so the founder focused investor driven came from, you know, me wanting to create what our goals and objectives were, our mission statement. And that was without the founder, our investors don't have an opportunity to, to have access to oversized returns, right? They're stuck having to deal with whatever the public markets give them. So the founder is extremely important and we need to respect that. And, and these people have, you know, they wake up at three o'clock in the morning with this idea and this dream and, and they have the courage to walk away from whatever it was that they were doing to go after this dream. And, and, and literally anybody who thinks that this stuff is easy um, needs, you know, needs to spend a little bit of time in these, these startups because, you know, you're working 90 to 110 hours a week and, um, you know, you're not making a lot of money out of the, out of the, the, the gate and, you know, there's a lot at risk. And so I have a lot of respect for that. And so the founder focus is just having that understanding. You know, I started four companies of my own, so I know what it's like to sit in that chair and have that empathy and understanding. And that's what it really is about, that when we go into, you know, a term sheet, it can't just be about us. It, ha it has to be a relationship where it goes both ways. And what I tend to tell my team is if we can't sit on the other side of the table and accept the terms that we're offering, that we shouldn't be mentioning it in the first place. And that's really our first telltale. So that's, that's where the founder that's focus awesome. comes from. Yeah, that's where founder focus comes. And I think it really has helped us. We have a tremendous relationships with our founders. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm on my phone pretty much 24 hours a day because we have companies in, in London and, and Israel and, and you know Sweden. So, you know, my day usually starts at 3.30 in the morning. And, wow. you know, it's because I, you know, I have to be connected to my founders. You know, there's always something going on. They're always needing, you know, some guidance or some advice to, to, to roll around. I mean, this morning at 3.30, I was talking to my company in London, Kerr, um, because we're, we're contemplating, do we, do we take the HQ, you know, the headquarters of the company from London and move it to the United States? But there's a lot of, there's a lot of deep thought that has to go into that because there's a lot of ripple effects that we have to think through, both monetarily speaking and regulatorily speaking. And, you know, is it the right move at the right time? And so it's just always something. Yeah. And, and and that's so interesting. I, I mean, I love hearing that. I've, I've raised a few times and I hear a lot, you know, it's always important to get down to a lot of people want to be founder first, but a lot of people haven't. I love two things you said. You've sat on the other side of the table. And if you were the founder, would you accept the terms? So yeah. uh, I think that's, I mean, I think that's really great as a founder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and to put it into proof source. So, you know, again, I've been up since 3.30, but, you know, I've already gone through a term sheet this morning and I sent it back to my team just saying, I think it's a little 
it's a little aggressive. I, I, I don't think this particular term needs to be there. I don't really know what we're, we're really getting and it makes us look like we're not founder focused. So, you know, it, it, again, it goes back to, if you know who you are and who you want to be, and I always tell this to my team, you bridge back to those things and every business situation that you're in. I think that's just a good example um, from this morning of what we're talking about. Great. And, and just briefly, I also wanted to ask, you have an amazing background in investment banking, you know, traditionally on Wall Street. I'm wondering how did that propel you to where you are now? What did you learn those days that you carried forward? You know, it's, it, it's so great to talk about right now because, you know, every single day, it seems like you're, if you read the New York Times or, or the Wall Street Journal, there's somebody that's complaining about the amount of hours that they're having to spend because they're having an internship at JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs or something like that. Um, I, I would tell you that it was the greatest uh, education that I could have ever received. You know, I, I, I started my career at Merrill Lynch. And if you know anything about Merrill Lynch, really what it was known for was its development. Uh, I mean, my, my speech coach or my, yeah, my speech coach that I had for three years was Ronald Reagan's former speech coach. Um, you know, just, it was just the most amazing. And I had incredible mentors, world-class leaders, um, you know, really strong leaders. I mean, super strong leaders. Um, but, you know, as a, as a former athlete, I, I, I do well under strong coaching, strong leadership. So it was always really good for me. Um, but, you know, I learned how, you know, you, you never quit working until the deal is done. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, I get up pretty early, you know, and a lot of people are like, well, why would you do that? Because it needs to be done. Um, you know, and back, you know, my first three years on Wall Street, you know, my first week, this, I think, really sets the tone for the whole discussion. My first week, my boss said, um, you know, I like you, kid. You got one week to figure out what time I get here in the morning. And if I ever come looking for you and can't find you, you're fired. So the first three days, you know, I'm running around the office talking to his assistants and his friends trying to figure out what time he gets here. And then after that week, he's like, you know what? I'm impressed yet. I really like you even more. Now, if I ever come looking for you at night and I can't find you, you're fired. So, you know, my days for the first three years on Wall Street started at six o'clock in the morning and, and usually ended around one in the morning, one thirty in the morning. You know, but, you know, back in those days, and I don't know what it's like today, I'm sure it's the same, but, you know, there's always food for you. And if you were there late at night, there was a black car sitting out front waiting to take you home, right? So it was always, but the job had to get done. And, um, and, and that really did help me a lot. But, um, and, and where I am today, I wouldn't be able to be here. I wouldn't have the thought process. I wouldn't have, I'm going to call it wisdom. I'm not sure that that's fair to say, but um, you know, I wouldn't have the wisdom. I wouldn't have the network. Um, and, and I think more than anything else is, is just the, the governance or the compliance and the oversight of how to run a proper wealth manager, you know, a wealth business. Um, you know, I understand the legal side of things. I understand the regulatory side of things. And I, I understand the responsibilities of being responsible for, you know, taking other people's trusted, you know, their, their life savings. And when they give that to you, it's, to me, it's one of the most it's, it's the, one of the biggest responsibilities, if not the biggest responsibility that you can have. I mean, I, I always say that there are three things that people hold closest to their heart. One is their family. I like to link to whatever their faith is. One is their health and one is their money, right? And so for me, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for one of those things that most people hold closest to their heart. And that's a big responsibility. Take it very seriously. 
And um, I think that's one of the things that makes us different. You know, there's nothing about us that's that's passive. We're very, you know, we're very focused on everything that we're doing because we know there's a lot at risk. I think that's awesome, Jeff. I, I, I think just from your answer to that question, I mean, you're really giving thanks to the leaders before you and your experience that you've had. And I think that's why you're such an, you know, empathetic and understanding leader. The question before that, I mean, it really shows that you're using that experience and putting it towards what you're currently doing. I love that. Um, I did want to ask you, so you're also the CEO of Makia Capital, which is founded uh, last year in 2020. So um, what pushed you to start this endeavor right in the middle of a global pandemic? Well, as we all know, you know, the, the SPAC space is, is, is kind of, you know, went completely up to the top of the mountain, what seems like overnight, you know, and is, is now kind of leveling off a little bit. And I, I think there's some interesting insights to that, which, you know, I, again, I've, I've been in this game for 28 years. I've seen it many, many times. But let me answer the first question and I'll come back around to that. So, so the reason why we did this was, you know, if you think about the public markets, the biggest blocker or bumper that the public market has today is identifying companies that are going to come into the public markets. The public markets have been shrinking for the last, you know, couple of decades, right? Just because more and more companies are staying private longer. I'll give you an example. Um, in 1994, which is when I started on Wall Street, there was this little tiny company called Amazon. And Amazon in 1994, 1995, 1996, 1997, and I would actually say till 1999, was kind of the joke of Wall Street. Uh, everybody, you know, laughed about it, right? It was just, you know, they're selling books online. What the hell are they thinking? And it was just coming off of, you know, I mean, you were right smack in the middle of all this dot-com stuff and everyone was trying to figure everything out. But in 1997, Amazon went public and it had top line revenue of $15 million and it went public at a $300 million valuation. Now, what's important about that is from 1997 to today, that company has grown from $300 million in valuation to something, I think it's somewhere around six or seven trillion. And when you get to the trillions, who really cares if it's, if it's six or seven, it's a lot of, it's a big number. So where I'm going with that is there's been tremendous multi-generational wealth that was created in the public market, okay? But if you fast forward, like maybe 2019 would probably be the best example uh, you know, marquee company that went IPO was, was Uber, right? It was the talk of the town. Everybody knows Uber. Uh, it's, it's a verb, right? And so, but when Uber went public, it had been around for 12 years, top line revenue in the billions of dollars. It went public, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, 74 billion or $78 billion, right? So if you think about that, all of the generational wealth was created in the private sector, not the public sector. In fact, I mean, I don't know where it is today, but I think if it, very little, if any, uh, wealth has been created in the public market so far. So why that is important is why I created, you know, Makia. To me, my responsibility, I came from the public markets. I was, you know, I was one of six people that ran the largest financial institution in the world. I, I have a responsibility to be able to think and provide value, I think, to investors. That's where the investor, you know, you know, it's founder focused, it's investor driven. And you know, our, our job is to find great founders, but our job is also, you know, at the end of the day, without the investor, none of this stuff works, right? There doesn't matter how many great founders you have if you don't have the capital to invest in it. So for me, you know, I had all these SPAC managers that were knocking on our door every single day and they were wanting access to our private companies. Because if you think about the private sector, our biggest bumper and barrier in the private sector is 
how do we get the exit, right? And you only have two ways of doing that. You either get purchased by another company or you go public. So to me, it was like, well, let's just remove the bumpers and barriers between the private and public sectors. You know, I, I understand the private sector very, very well. I also understand the private sector very well. So why wouldn't I participate in both of those, those sides of the balance sheet and connect the bridge? And, and that's really what, what we did. Instead of allowing all these SPAC managers who have very little understanding of these portfolio companies, they have no connectivity, no influence. It was just like, hey, you know, introduce me to these guys and we'll take them public. I don't, you know, I, I, other than the vehicle that takes them public, I didn't really see a lot of value there. So we decided to create our own SPAC. Um, I'm not saying that every company that we take public will be from our, our private portfolio companies, but we do have one hell of a garden, right? We have 30 portfolio companies that we know very, very well. We have significant influence. We understand the companies. And if you start to think about some of the, again, how do you improve upon these things? You know, one of the, and you've read about it a little bit, but you know, these, these SPAC managers who don't understand what's going on in the private sector might not know some of the skeletons that are in the closet and they take these companies public. And then at the end of the day, the investing public is the one that gets hurt. So I think, you know, someone like us that has that connectivity to both is much better for the end investor in the public markets because, you know, we know if there's, if there's problems and we would never take those problems into the public sector. Um, and so that's why we did it uh, really just because we think that investors need to have access to growth companies. I love the SPAC notion. I love the SPAC space because of that. I mean, if you can get into a company at a $500 million valuation when it's still growing and it's gonna go to multi, multi billions, that's a great opportunity. Um, and, and so, you know, that's, that's really the, the bottom line. We wanna take great growth opportunities from the private sector, bring them into the public sector and give the investing public the ability to invest in those companies and they know it's coming from us. So they know we've done our job and we know they know we've done our, our due diligence. Very, very interesting. I'm all about, you know, I, I, I we could, we could have a whole podcast on SPACs actually. Um, I mean, it, it would be smart to do because a lot of people need to learn a lot more about it. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah. Agreed. Do you want to just really quickly, I have two questions. Do you want to just quickly explain what SPAC means? And the second question is SPACs have taken a little bit of a hit in the media and investments recently. You know, the SPAC king, he, he's not doing very well. So I was wondering, where do you see the future of SPACs going? Is this a minor dip? Uh, are they still going to be vehicles that are used? So yeah. So what is a SPAC? What's the future? The SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. And, and it's, it's, its purpose is to merge with a private company and take that private company into the public sector. That's really what it is. So it's, 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 an, it's an opportunity for a private company to go public, but not as um, uh, you know, fraught with paperwork and cost as a traditional IPO. And so it became very, very popular in, in 2020 because just, you know, again, the private sector has gotten so robust, right? So abundant. And these, you know, again, what's its bumper and barrier? It's got to have an exit. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you had some very smart entrepreneurial financial people that said, well, let's use a SPAC structure to do that. Now, to your point, as of late, you know, SPACs have kind of gotten beat up a little bit in, in the media. And, you know, as I said earlier, and, and actually I said it to Nikki that I would, I would kind of revert back to it and I forgot. So Joe, thank you for 
reminding me. Um, you know, I, I, again, I've been in this business for a long time and I've seen this stuff happen so many times. You know, something comes out of the gates and you have every smart financial engineer who's going to try and figure out a way to capitalize on it. And some of those financial engineers, again, I'm not trying to be disparaging or negative, but maybe, you know, they shouldn't be there, right? And, and so what ends up happening is the SEC, which is an incredible, you know, governance situation, will come in and they'll tighten the screws on things. They'll make it more difficult. And those financial engineers that, that probably shouldn't be there end up disappearing. And the teams that do have the experience, that do have the pedigree, that do understand, you know, and, and maybe have good core values. You know, like I said, you know, if, if all you're trying to do is make money, you're, you're probably going to be off a little bit because mm -hmm. that's really not, it's not about maximizing the return. It's about making sure that all of the pieces that are involved in that transaction do well. Mm -hmm. And that means the founder, that means the investor, that means the investment bank, you know, everybody, it's got to be a relationship that goes, you know, across the table. Um, and there's a lot of people at that table. And so I think what's happening right now is, is you have some things that are, that are just shaking out. And, and quite frankly, in my, my humble opinion, I, I love it. I, I want to see that. I want to see it get more difficult because that's where myself and my team played the best, right? Because we understand the difficulties and we understand how to, how to operate in this space. We're, we're meant to be in the space. And quite frankly, I would love to just get all the people who maybe aren't supposed to be here, you know, out of the way. It, and they, they, that'll be figured out, right? They're either here or they're not. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. so interesting. Uh, I'm super interested in SPAC. So that, that's great. I'll, I'll bug you offline for, for more info. And I'll, I'll yeah. post all of Jeff's advice on social yeah. media. So don't worry. But uh, so as we wrap up here, we're coming up on time. Uh, before Nikki asks our last question of the podcast, I have a little rapid fire for you. Uh, just for fun. So the first question is, is if your life were a movie, what genre would it be? Would it be a comedy, a drama, a mix? For sure, for sure, action. Action. For sure, action. Okay. Yeah, for like sure. There's, there's not a dull moment of my, of my life. I like it. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, what yeah. is your most productive time of day? Believe it or not, I get up super early, but I stay up pretty late. So mm -hmm. my most productive time is, is like 11 to one o'clock in the morning. Okay. Wow. You're, I love it. So, yeah. so you've already mentioned the next, we always ask what time people wake up and what time they go to bed. We've all, you've already given us uh, some info on this calls at three 30, going to bed at one. So I guess the question here is when do you sleep? Yeah. Well, and it's not that way every day. I don't, I don't want to give the wrong impression. I don't do that every single day. But, you know, when I say between 11 and one, you know, maybe one night I go to bed at 11, maybe one night I go to bed at three. But yeah. it just depends on what's going on. But yeah, I get I get my sleep. Um, I, I'm fortunate enough I can operate on very little sleep. And mm -hmm. I've always been that way. It goes back to one of the questions you asked me. You know, my training on Wall Street. You just learn to uh, to operate without a lot of sleep because you can't. And and so you know I've been doing this. It's habits, right? I mean, yeah. habits three weeks, good or bad. I've been doing this for 28 years. It's a hell of a habit. Yeah, and that's great. What, uh, what is your favorite restaurant in South Florida? Uh, my favorite restaurant in South Florida used to be Nayara. Um, and then Chef B moved up north. So right now I'm trying to figure that out, uh, okay. Joe. I, I don't really have one right now. 
Okay. Okay. Good. Favorite, favorite. Yeah. Um, are there any podcasts? Where do you go for inspiration, insight in terms of digital media? Is there a favorite podcast that you listen to? You know, again, I wouldn't say I have a favorite, but I listen to anything that's related to my field. So like VC, like when I'm, when I get up, I mean, I, I work out every day when I'm on the treadmill or I'm on, you know, doing any cardio, I've, I've got a, a, a podcast that's playing and, and, you know, it's just, what I'll do is just type in venture capital and I'll look for an interesting topic. And um, it, it's, it's amazing what I pick up and learn. I, it, I, I actually look forward to it because I'm always learning something. Um, so I love podcasts. I think these things are amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. I know 30 minutes has gone by, but I could sit here with you guys all day and morning. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. That's awesome. Okay. And then the last question for rapid fire is, do you have a motto that you live by a motto or a mantra that continues to come back to you in life to inspire you, motivate you, keep you going? And what is it? So, uh, so my, my, the answer to that is I have 54 of them that I oh. read every, every morning. This is how I wake up. That's my ritual. I read through these, these insights that I've created over the years. But the one that I would say um, really holds true is proactive people create the rules that reactive people end up living by. And I, I think that that just, if you really read into that, it's pretty powerful. There's a lot of people that kind of sit around and wait for people or wait for things to happen or wait for people to do things. And what ends up happening is you end up, you know, really living by the rules that whoever else is, is being proactive is creating. So you got to get out there on your front foot. You have to be bold. You have to have confidence and courage and, and do the things that you think is right to do. Love that. Yes, love that. I, I'm learning so much from you this morning, Jeff. So uh, I, I know uh, Joe was saying we're just about time here. So my last question to wrap everything up to you is, what advice would you give to an aspiring venture capitalist? Somebody that says, hey, I'm watching Jeff and I want to do what he's doing. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I, I think that the, the first thing is, is don't, don't think or, or, you know, a lot of people think that, um, that, that we just uh, go to parties and have great times and make a whole bunch of money. And that's really not the truth at all. Uh, it, it is a very, very uh, difficult job. And again, if you take all the elements very seriously, you know, understanding, and we've already talked about understanding how important it is for the founder, but understanding how important it is for the investor, understanding how important it is for compliance and governance and just doing things right. There's a tremendous amount of, of stress. The reason I don't sleep very much is, is I, I worry about everything. And, um, and so what I would say is make sure that you, this is really what you want to do, number one. And number two, you know, I really do think it's important that you have, um, you know, an educational um, understanding of finance and what this business is about and that you have experience in it before you start, you know, taking other people's money and, and investing it. Um, because it, it really truly is a, a very, very serious thing. You know, people work sometimes their entire life to save up this money. They trust you. You better know what the hell you're doing. And so my advice would be to, to be patient, get the education that you need to have so that you understand what's going on and get the experience so that when you see something, you've already experienced it once, you know what to do, make sure that you're surrounded by incredible mentors. So in case you run into something that you're not quite sure of, you can lean into your mentor and get a sounding board and, and think it through. Because again, it's serious stuff. You can't cut somebody's arm off um, when it was supposed to be, you, know, you can't cut the right arm off when it was supposed to be the left arm, right? 
And, and, and so that, that would be my, my advice. It, it is a very difficult, very stressful, very serious. There's nothing you know, that, is, that is not serious about this job. Yeah, I love that. Thank, thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you so much, Joanna, as well. Um, I want to just wrap us up by saying, of course, this was the South Florida Tech podcast. And uh, if anybody would like to get more information and find out about more of our members like Jeff um, and how to get involved, please visit uh, SouthFloridaTech.com or TechHubSouthFlorida.com. And, um, you know, of course, you know, we want to thank everybody on this morning, everybody that's watching, and uh, please have a great day, and hopefully we'll see everybody soon. Thanks, Bye, Jeff. everyone. Thanks so much. Bye, Bye. Joe. Bye, Nikki. Bye. Our podcast sponsor is Emerge Americas. Each year, global enterprises, disruptive technology, and elite startups are highlighted at Emerge's premier tech event, Connecting the Americas. The event is held in Miami Beach, which to date has hosted organizations from over 40 countries and featured over 250 speakers from around the world. Emerge Americas is transforming South Florida's tech ecosystem by connecting entrepreneurs, investors, lead business executives, and decision makers.